Open your Bibles with me this morning to uh, Psalm 20. Psalm 20. Give me a moment here to get organized. I'm sorry, would you add 100 to that, please? Psalm 120. There you go. The psalms that we're going to look at this morning have been called uh, various things. Uh, One of my uh, favorite phrases is a mini psalter. It's like a collection within a collection where 15 of the psalms have been uh, gathered together and uh, form a unique set, and uh, many people have given them that name, a mini-psalter, or uh, a psalter within the psalms. They're known as the songs of ascents. And most literally, the Hebrew phrase means a going up. And so these uh, psalms are written for a going up. But what does that mean? Uh, We want to talk about that a little bit as we get into it this morning. There are at least uh, four different views, and these are the prominent views of the meaning. Most of your Bibles say a song of ascents before each one. Uh, Ascents meaning to ascend, not to give agreement to. But to ascend, that other one is spelled differently. But um, people have tried through the years, in fact through the centuries, to define uh, what this referred to. Because this, these uh, titles for these 15 psalms have been used for centuries. And uh, going back to the times of the Jews, and the question is, uh, to what does it refer One Old Testament scholar and uh, company understand the phrase to mean the internal structure of the Psalms. For example, Psalm 120 begins, In my trouble I cried to the Lord, and He answered me. Deliver my soul, O Lord, from lying lips and from a deceitful tongue. What shall be given to you, and what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? And as you read through the psalm, it kind of has this crescendo building. And some people say this song of ascent uh, refers to the literary structure of the sentences and the verses. Some Jewish interpreters uh, go back and say it uh, is a, a group of psalms that was to be read on each step from the court of the women to the court of the men in the temple. I always found that a little difficult to grasp. Can you imagine taking one step, and then everybody stops, and you sing a song? And then you take another step, and everybody stops, and you sing another psalm. It would take a very long time to climb those 15 steps. And uh, somehow or another, that has never 
uh, landed with me as the best understanding of this, but it is mentioned one time in the Talmud as uh, perhaps by a comparison that these songs were part of the temple worship. Other interpreters imagine that the psalms were sung by the exiles as they returned from Babylon. You notice that, uh, or you're aware that the book of Psalms, the Psalter, all 150, um, for the most part were finished before the exile. And uh, David certainly wasn't a part of the exile. He was long gone. Uh, but the idea was that they collected certain psalms and pulled them together. And as they were given permission to go back to Jerusalem, those exiles who chose to return to Jerusalem and rebuild the city and rebuild the temple, uh, perhaps sang these psalms on their way. But a fourth and possibly the most logical understanding of these is that there were three major festivals in the Jewish calendar every year where as many as possible would make a journey back to Jerusalem. Passover was certainly uh, the crowning uh, festival of all of these, and if they could possibly make Passover, that would be their primary goal. But there were other occasions during the year where the Jewish people would make a pilgrimage back to Jerusalem from wherever they lived, and they would go kind of in caravans and in groups. Uh, you recall how Jesus, when he was 12 years old, was um, missed by his parents uh, after the first day or so. And you might say, how could you lose your kids? Well, it, it wouldn't be difficult if you had family and cousins and and friends and neighbors and everyone traveling together along the road kind of strung out. And, uh, you know, Jesus would be uh, with someone else. I'm sure that that's what uh, Mary and Joseph assumed. Well, he's not with us. He's probably with one of the family members or one of the neighbors and some of the other boys his age. And that's what's going on with him. And so they would have that kind of traveling together. And uh, when you were on a long road trip as a kid or as a family, you ever sing songs in the car? Those, some of those droning songs <laughs> would go on and on forever. But uh, how do you pass the time? And if you're walking, how do you pass the time? Well, the idea was that the, the, the Jewish people on the pilgrimage as they went up to Jerusalem, would be singing these psalms. And you can just imagine how that might go. Uh, someone might start out one of these, and it would uh, kind of catch on in the group right around them, and they would begin singing, and then you'd hear it down the way a little bit. And so uh, if you were to be able to fast, <coughs> fast forward along the path, and pass up everyone, you might hear different of these psalms sung as they moved toward Jerusalem and thought about the meaning of their pilgrimage. In fact, one of the interpretations of the Hebrew phrase, the song of ascent, by implication is to be on a pilgrimage and to sing these songs as a part of the 
pilgrimage. And I think that's where these fit best in your life and mine today. We're all on a pilgrimage. We're on a journey. Um, We are strangers and aliens on this earth. And we're moving toward a destiny that is literally otherworldly. Um, All of you have heard Kerry preach, and some of you have been around him a bit, and you know he has a very interesting sense of humor and a very quick wit and seizes every moment for evangelism. And I love the story that he tells when one of his co-workers was uh, asking him uh, if he believed in aliens. And Kerry said, well, yes, in fact, I am an alien. (laughs) And it led into a marvelous opening for sharing the gospel, because we are all aliens, and we are strangers upon this earth. This earth is not our home. We're on a journey, and we're moving toward our heavenly home. For the Jews, that was moving toward Jerusalem. For us, it is moving toward the kingdom and uh, our future in heaven and our time of being with the Lord forever. That is what is waiting for us. A city that has real foundations, whose builder and maker is God. And so if you look at these Psalms and... If you do happen to be caught up with your reading, you're kind of in the middle of them. Uh, you read, I think, through uh, Psalm 129 on Friday, and tomorrow we pick up and we finish this section in the Psalms. And as you read these together, I encourage you to think about uh, this interpretation as we share this morning. The New Bible Commentary, edited by Guthrie and others, suggests that there are five groups of three psalms each that make up the 15 psalms. The first two groups are similar in that they deal with the external pressures that come against people who are seeking to serve and follow the Lord. We need to recognize that as followers of Jesus Christ, we would like to think with some of the popular ideas that we are going to have less difficulty in this world than other people because we're doing the right thing. But the reality is that as followers of Jesus Christ, Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. All who follow me will suffer tribulation. Just as the world hated me, it's going to hate you as well. And we need to get, shall I say, somewhat comfortable with the idea that not only are we susceptible to the common problems and difficulties that all human beings have, but that as followers of Jesus Christ, somebody painted a target on our back. And the enemy is always shooting at those targets. 
we have an enemy of our souls that is wrestling against us. The Bible says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly realms. We are constantly in a warfare that is unseen and hidden from our eyes, literally, but is spiritually a reality. And so our journey here is a tough one. And um, it's not to discourage us or, uh, you know, make us wish we had chosen another path. We are told this to give us encouragement because Jesus said, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. But every person who desires to live godly in Christ Jesus, Paul says, will suffer persecution. The first two groups of three in these Psalms deal with the external pressures that come against those who follow Jesus Christ. And when I say external, I don't mean they're all outside of us. Many times... The pressures that we deal with are, are in our minds. They're internal. It's a, it's a spiritual warfare that goes on within our thought life. Tempting us to doubt God. Uh, bringing up uh, occasion uh, to sense that, that God has somehow let us down. Um, coming against us in terms of our value and our worth. Uh, these are constant battles, but those... Thoughts and suggestions come at us from the outside. As the enemy is engaged in warfare against our very soul. And so the first six of these psalms deal with those kinds of pressures. The middle group deals with wisdom for home and family. And there are a lot of uh, good words of wisdom that come out of that for the home. Uh, one of my favorite psalms to use at a time of the dedication of a baby comes from that middle section of the psalms. In the fourth group of three, the discipline of patience in a very personal and devotional nature. One of the most difficult things we have to learn as followers of Christ is how to wait upon the Lord. And waiting is not a passive activity. You know, you can, you can wait passively. You can sit in an airport and occupy a seat and literally do nothing if you want to. Till your departure plane arrives or your connecting flight. But waiting before the Lord is an active kind of thing. It is talking with the Lord about the issues that concern you. It is reminding Him of those burdens of your heart. It is quoting scripture that apply to it. It is holding before the Lord His promises as you wait for the fulfillment that He promises to give. Waiting before God is, is an active commitment to hold on until God comes through. And then finally, the last three deal with the covenant, the community, and the sanctuary. 
You know, one of the greatest things is God's promises to us because he is a covenant-keeping God and he cannot lie and he will not break his word. So I've picked out a few verses from these Psalms of Ascents and I want us just to think about them together for a little bit. Actually, they make up some of some of my favorite verses. So you get a little insight into the way that I think here. In Psalm 120, verse 1, the psalmist says, In my trouble I cried to the Lord. How many of you in your trouble cry to the Lord? Isn't that pretty common for us? But here's the marvelous part. The second phrase, and he answered me. There is the assurance that when we cry out to the Lord, he will answer us. Sometimes that answer doesn't seem to come immediately. Sometimes it doesn't come the way we want it. But the promise is that God is attentive to the prayers of his people. And he always listens to them. And when we cry out to the Lord, he promises that he will answer. And that is a great word of encouragement. That God will come to us as we seek him. Psalm 121, verse 1, David says, I will lift up my eyes to the mountains. From where shall my help come? Now, you've heard me talk about this before, but sometimes the wording has a tendency, if we read it from the wrong angle, it it, it has a tendency to be a little misleading. It's almost like David is looking out to the mountains to provide his help. That's not what he's doing. His eyes are taking in the distant mountains. He's looking at everything in between. He's looking at all the people. He's looking at friends and acquaintances who've let him down. And as he looks into the distance and looks all around him, he says, I lift my eyes and I look as far as I can see. Is there anyone to help me? Who is there to help me? And then he resolves that with this comforting word, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. It's a declaration of God's power. He is omnipotent. There's nothing he cannot do. When I need help, I want an omnipotent hand coming to my rescue. I want somebody who cannot be defeated. I want a superhero. I want someone that can Uh, meet every foe and rise to every challenge and defeat every enemy 
and rescue me. And that's exactly what God is. He is that one who will come to our aid in our greatest time of need and in our loneliness and in our sense that everyone else has let me down. But God will never fail me. He will always be there to strengthen me. Isn't that an encouragement against the pressures that come against us? That our help comes from the Lord. So our eyes look to the Lord God until He is gracious to us. Psalm 123. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved but abides forever. At one point, David says, I was sinking down in the miry clay. Have you ever sunk down in miry clay? How many of you have had that experience? I mean, literally, you've sunk down. I'm not talking figuratively here. You've sunk, yeah, I know you have. <laughs> Jan does wild and crazy things. I picked on you twice now in two weeks. I'm going to have to give you a break. Do you know what it's like to get your feet out as they're sinking down in clay? Clay is not solid and it is not mud. Mud you can actually kind of slog around in. But clay is actually viscous like a very thick oil. And when your feet go down in it, it covers them around. And it creates a vacuum. And trying to get your foot out, well, how do you do that? Well, you push against the other foot. But what happens when you do that? It goes down further. And getting out of miry clay is a tough order. I've experienced that. I, I can appreciate what David said when he said, I was sinking down in the miry clay, but he lifted me up and set my feet upon a rock. And rocks don't budge. And David says in this psalm, or in the psalm that we're looking at here, he will make us like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. To trust in Jesus Christ, to put our hope and confidence in Him, is to be solid, immovable, unshakable. He plants our feet upon a rock, and He gives us great stability. Moving on to wisdom for the home and family in the third grouping. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. It is vain for you to rise up early, to retire late, to eat the bread of painful labors. For he gives to his beloved even in his sleep. Here is wisdom for the household. Wisdom for those responsible, for moms and dads. Here is the confidence 
that God gives. That to try to build the house yourself is vain. And to try to meet your needs by waking up early and staying up late and shortening your night is foolish. God will care for those who put their trust in Him forever. I was sitting uh, at a table at a dinner time yesterday afternoon with a couple I haven't seen for a very long time. They used to come to church here. And um, they were sharing their testimony of how they had, uh, in the economic crash, lost their business and everything they had, essentially in it, and how happy and blessed their lives have been since. Wow, what a testimony. You know, I lost it all and I've never been happier. What, what, a, what an amazing testimony. And they talked about how God has met them time and again. And believe me, it hasn't been trouble-free. Health challenges, all kinds of other challenges, but God has met them at every turn. It is vain to rise up early and to retire late and to eat the bread of painful labors because he gives to his beloved even while they're sleeping is what it literally means. I received a magazine this week, uh, one of the ones I subscribed to, and it had an entire article in it on sleep. And I just kind of glommed right on that article. Uh, understanding sleep problems is very important to me right now because it seems like a good night's rest is not something I get often. And so I, I want to read everything I can find on sleeping. And they uh, quoted a study there where a 16-year study had been done uh, on people relative to their sleep habits and patterns. And uh, what this study uh, turned out to be, and it was quite a large study, it was large enough to be more than adequate statistically, was that adults who get at least seven to seven and a half hours of sleep a night it was the single most important factor in longevity that if you were to put all the health hazards together um, too much alcohol smoking cigarettes uh, doing all the kinds of obesity all the things that break down your health the number one thing that will ruin you is inadequate sleep getting seven to seven and a half hours of sleep a night. Older people need a little less. Younger people in their teens and 20s and early 30s need a little more. But most people in midlife need about seven and a half hours. And they began to do some research into this to see if it was just the rest that influenced this outcome. And what they discovered as they began to research this was that 
restful sleep, not it sends a whole different set of signals to bodily organs. It restores the heart. It cleanses the brain, literally cleanses the brain. Brain cells shrink during the night. I don't mean you get dumber, but... But during the night, the cells themselves shrink and the interstitial fluid, the stuff between the cells, enlarges, allowing more water, for lack of a better term, okay, I'm going to keep it simple, more water to pass through, and it washes out the toxins. And then as you begin to come toward awakening, the brain takes up its normal habitat again, cleansed of the toxins and they begin to list all the things that it re-regulates and resets the biorhythms and and the release of hormones and all those things that keep us balanced and moving forward and here god is telling us in the psalms it is dumb for you it is dumb to stay up late and to get up early and to try to work two and three jobs. I'll take care of you. I made you. I know what you need. I'll meet you. I'll take care of you. Get your rest. You know, we scratch our head and say, spend one third of my life sleeping. Yes. Spend one third of your life sleeping. Because it is essential to the other two-thirds being healthy. And as they concluded their research in this whole study, the, the things that they came to was that lack of sleep will kill you faster than a two-pack-a-day cigarette habit, over-drinking, or obesity. It will kill you faster than any of those health hazards. Just not getting enough sleep. I'm about 20 years behind. So if I, uh, you know, go to sleep and disappear for 20 years, <laughs> you'll, know, you'll know what I'm up to. I'm resting, uh, trying to restore, because it's so absolutely essential. Going on, the discipline of patience. David says, My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. Do you wait for the Lord more than the watchman waits for the morning? Speaking of sleep, can you imagine those long hours? In the dark of the late morning, three, four, five o'clock, I used to work campus security my last year of school when I was at Tacoa, and I waited for the morning. After making the rounds and traversing the campus a couple of times through the night, things settled down around three or four o'clock, and there wasn't a lot going on, and I was ready to be done. I was waiting for the morning. 
And David says, my soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman waits for the morning. That's the discipline of patience. And then finally, the covenant, the community, and the sanctuary. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his habitation. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. God has made certain commitments. Commitments to his people. Promises that he will keep. And he will keep them forever. And so, uh, those last three psalms deal with his covenant relationship with Israel. And friends, God has made a covenant with us. I know and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I've committed to him until that future day. I have a covenant relationship with God. People say, do you know for sure that you're going to go to heaven when you die? Not a doubt in my mind. Because it's not up to me to keep that covenant. My God keeps covenant with me. And he promises that he will see me through till the end. I hope as you finish reading the Psalms of Ascents, the Songs of Ascents, that they will be a rich blessing to you. And uh, if you learned a few things this morning that you didn't already know, well, go back and pick them up and uh, see what God has to say to you.